What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of many parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, conservation gets weird. From bird-humping helmets to toxic toad sausage thrown out of helicopters, sometimes conservationists have to get wild to save the wild. Discover this more as we answer the age-old question... How do you keep a whooping crane from catching feelings for you? Joining me today is TV writer, cartoonist, and filmmaker Anna Salinas. Welcome! Hi, so happy to be here. I am excited to have you back. And I was just talking with you about how I think of the last time I had you on, we talked about little cute owls. And for some reason it happened again, and I didn't plan (laughs) for it. Maybe it was like kind of some subliminal messaging that I got where it's like, I got to talk about tiny owls, but are you ready to talk about tiny owls? I am because they're so cute. They are the cutest little babies that, I mean, they're just like flying beaky kittens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They look like you could hold them in the palm of your hand and pet them. Oh, they would hate it. They would hate it too much. (laughs) I can see that. Yeah. So uh, they are adorable. They are Western burrowing owls. And their territory is often threatened by land development. And so researchers and ecologists are trying to trick these tiny owls into locating somewhere else that is safe from land development. So... Western burrowing owls. They're some of my favorite owls. I They're so expressive. They have some of the cutest pictures. And they are the only ground-dwelling owl in North America. 
They stand at only 10 inches tall, which is 25 centimeters. They're found in Western America, including Canada and South America, and they live in grasslands like a bunch of little prairie dogs. <laughs> they do look like prairie dogs, like poking out of the dirt. Mm-hmm. They, it's like if a prairie dog was a bird, which is so cute. It's very cute. And there's actually a reason for that. These burrowing owls, despite their name, do not actually make their own home. They use burrows made by prairie dogs or maybe ground squirrels or other burrowing animals. So if there is an abandoned prairie dog burrow, they will take it over. They're squatters, essentially. (laughs) That is so resourceful. Mm -hmm. Like... To, to to know that, oh, I don't have to build my own hole. I can just use someone else's. I love that. It's like yeah. how I've started using a laundry service because I'm like, I don't have to do my own laundry. <laughs> I'm an adult. I get to choose what I waste my money on. Exactly. I just love the thought of them going into the prairie dog home and knocking off all the prairie dog photos from the mantle <laughs> and putting up their own little owl photos. Yes, and then the prairie dog comes back because they weren't actually moving. They just like, went on a little <laughs> trip and is like, what the hell are you doing in here? Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like that must happen where they think something's abandoned and it's not. And then they probably get in a squabble with a prairie dog. And then oh, the yeah. little prairie dog police are called in and <laughs> lawyers. Yeah. yeah, it gets really bloody. I hate to say it, yeah. but I just see those sharp beaks. And I know <laughs> in Prairie Dog Court, all of a sudden there's like blood everywhere. Yeah. But I get it. They're fighting over their home. Bird law. Bird law. <laughs> so, yes, a cute note on these little owls is one way they defend themselves is they like to hiss and pretend to be a rattlesnake <laughs> so they won't be disturbed. So I'm going to have you listen to this because it is such a good mimicry situation. <laughs> it's like it's like a cat hissing at you. But it does shake. They've like mastered the vibrato of a rattle. Yeah. Which is impressive. It really is. It really is. Because it doesn't quite sound like the a, a cat hiss. It does sound like that that rattlesnake rattle, which is actually when a rattlesnake hisses, that rattle is not produced by its uh, any kind of vocalization. It's the uh, striation of these hardened scales on its back tail rattling together, mm-hmm. these dry scales. So the fact they can mm-hmm. mimic that with uh, their uh, vocalization is really impressive. Uh, but they are harmless little babies, uh, <laughs> unless you are a small reptile, rodent, or insect. Uh, they could probably scratch you pretty good. But again, they're like they're like flying cats, you know. Oh. So uh, they, unfortunately, because they live in these grasslands, they are really vulnerable to land development because that is a favored area to develop because it's flat, relatively easy to build on. And in fact, most of California's grasslands have been developed and put that puts these adorable little flying murder kittens in peril. Mm, Poor things. That's so sad. It's like they've just moved into their new house, kicked off the prairie dog photos. Mm Mm-hmm. 
now they're losing their homes again. Yeah, yeah. And they're actually a federally protected species. So developers have to relocate the owls when they develop on their habitat. They can't just go around killing a bunch of owls, which is good. Um, Mm -hmm. But typically, the land developers simply evict the owls from their homes by waiting for the owls to leave, then destroying their burrows. And then when they get back, they're just their burrows are gone. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's also the method of translocation where you remove the owls and take them somewhere else. But often the owls will simply try to return to where they knew their old burrows were only to be met with like some kind of McMansion being built there. Completely confused. That's so sad. It's really sad, especially when you consider how atrociously ugly McMansions can be. And these owls are probably like, why do you have different roof styles all together on one house? It doesn't make sense. The windows aren't symmetrical. So ugly. Yeah. That fake Tuscan stuff. When they just like, when they just stick a turret on a house, you can't do that. What do you think? It's true. Crimes against. Ugh. And all the houses look the same on the block. Crimes against nature and crimes against architectural style. So. Ecologists are trying to figure out a better way to move the owls to new homes on nature reserves. And they did a study comparing the fates of owls who were simply evicted versus those who were acclimatized to new burrows. And they found that by relocating owls and creating a lived-in burrow for them by doing things like thoughtfully splattering them with owl poop, sometimes real owl poop, sometimes <laughs> fake. Just, oh my just gosh. so, you know, just this kind of artful little splatter, <laughs> J- Jackson Pollock-like splatters of owl poop here and there. I'd love to sit in on, like, the designer, the interior designer using this oh, yeah. owl poop. Yeah, yeah, just uh, artfully spraying it on mm-hmm. some of the walls. Like, mm, you could use an accent wall mm-hmm. right here with owl poop. I think that'll really balance out the really living room and live in the room up. And you want, yeah, yeah, you want a sense of motion. <laughs> yeah, you want some the sense of motion. You want a nice feng shui. So there's yeah. a front facing window mm-hmm. around here, um, and that's that's where that old poop will go. You open, I think, up the space. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is so sweet. To decorate an owl's little burrow for them. That's, I mean, that's just the sweetest. It's the least we can do. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Hey, I took your home, but I got you a new one. And don't worry, I pre-pooped it. I just like that it's humans and owls are essentially the same. When a real estate agent is trying to get you to buy a home, they mm-hmm. bake some cookies in it. So you smell freshly baked cookies <laughs> If we're trying to get an owl to settle in a home, it's like owl poop. Yeah. You're into that, right? Yeah. You're an owl. <laughs> it's comforting. It reminds you of home, right? It reminds <laughs> you of your childhood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if- Is it fresh? Oh, yeah, it's fresh. <laughs> nice and warm. Yes. <laughs> warm and cozy. Yeah. What if real estate agents just went to the bathroom right before <laughs> they tried to show you the home? So it just has that nice lived in you know, it's the sound of flushing and you feel like you're already home. The toilet seat is all still warm. Someone's just uh, lit a 
match mm-hmm. to try and get rid of the smell, mm-hmm. but it just kind of covers it. You still smell it, but mm-hmm. also smell the match. Yeah, I'd be like, this smells like home. I would <laughs> leave immediately, uh, but I, I, it would f- smell familiar. So freshly baked cookies and then the smell <laughs> of a match and then like poop wouldn't do it for you. Uh, I I want to say no, but who knows? I've never bought a house. I don't know what what it would be like. I guess it depends. I'm sure on, if I yeah. bought a house, yeah, yeah. depends I would be on like, the oh. artful splatter. Yeah, of the owl exactly. Poop. Yeah. So if it's mid century splatter, I <laughs> rococo splatter. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they also will play owl sounds near these burrows, kind of like, hey, other owls are digging it. Maybe you'll <laughs> dig it too. Uh huh. So they actually did find that this was successful. The owls were much more likely to inhabit the homes and they were more likely to successfully breed. And that's really key because if we want to conserve their population, not only do we need to basically save their lives, we need to give them a conducive environment to have a family and continue their little owl life. Yeah, their little owl lives. You know, they'd be really offended by that. They'd be like, actually, we have really rich lives. We're the protagonists (laughs) of our own story. We may be little, but we have big dreams. (laughs) We may be little, but we have big dreams. I feel like that would be an amazing marketing poster for these owls. Like, oh, yeah. Like, you know how when they make a new housing development and they put up a billboard to, like, advertise the development? It's yeah. like, the neighborhood of your dreams, safe to raise a family, <laughs> like, but then have a little tiny billboard for these these owl villages where yeah. it says, we may be little, but we have big dreams. Join Owly Hills. <laughs> <laughs> Owly Hills. It's perfect. <laughs> they're playing the little owl sounds, kind of like when you go to that Disney town, how mm. they're playing music in the rocks. Have you heard of this? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. Celebration. Yeah, it is a very, like, curated sort of experience, just like Disneyland is, where they play yeah. sounds. They waft scents for you. They make you feel like you're in a village and not being watched by Mickey Mouse yes. from a surveillance tower. Exactly. We're creating little Disney villages for these owls because oh, they are being watched. I want to see an owl in a little tiny teacup right now. <laughs> yeah. You can see it because you can imagine their little heads like twisting yeah. around as the teacup twirls. Yeah. Like the heads are just right. taking a little too long to swivel right. around. Like, I don't get it. I'm not dizzy at all. <laughs> yeah, this is fine. This is like just a regular walk in the park for me. Oh, man. Al Disneyland. That would be, that's my dream. Uh, yeah. Yes. So, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> so this technique of making a Potemkin village is actually not unique to owls. So a Potemkin village is a village that has a fake facade that makes it look lived in or desirable. Uh, this mm-hmm. is, I guess, um, a, a technique that is used by conservationists where they are trying to get animals to see an area as a viable place to live. And they've actually done this underwater as well. So, oh, wow. Off the coast of Australia lies the sprawling Great Barrier Reef. 
unfortunately, mm-hmm. coral reefs are actually in danger. So the reef itself is made of living organisms. So coral is alive. Uh, and if those die, so dies the reef and that ecosystem collapses. So when coral dies, something happens called bleaching. So bleaching mm-hmm. is when coral expels the symbiotic algae that lives inside it called I think it's zoanxanthella. It's mm-hmm. a it's a complicated word. Zoanxanthella. <laughs> uh, this can occur due to warming waters or changes in the amount of nutrients in the surrounding area. Often this is due to climate change. It can d- be due to water runoff from farms where you have fertilizer running off and changing the dynamics of mm-hmm. the algae. Uh, in that area, which can cause bleaching where a certain type of algae outcompetes the symbiotic algae in the coral. It's a big problem. And uh, sometimes in addition to these, these things like climate change or runoff from farms, you'll have a natural disaster that comes in like a cyclone that will destroy parts of the reef that are already vulnerable And this has happened uh, to parts of the Great Barrier Reef, much to the distress of ecologists who understand how critically important reefs are for the diversity of marine life. They are one of the most diverse uh, and concentrated communities of sea life uh, in the entire ocean, these reefs. They're amazing. I mean, they're beautiful to look at, and they're so important ecologically. So, of course... Mm -hmm. When these reefs are dying or being destroyed, naturally we're thinking, well, how are we going to solve this problem? Mm-hmm. So one thing they do is they u- can use the rubble from dead or destroyed coral colonies to try to rebuild the area. So they set up, they kind of gather up coral where it has been destroyed, gath- kind of pushes it together to make a new, basically a skeleton for a new reef. And even if they are able to start growing back this coral, they need to convince other marine life to come settle because these ecosystems are very, very, they're like a tapestry. They're all woven in together. These species have such a close-knit relationship. They can be highly dependent on each other. So you need to get the whole community back to really see these reefs thrive. So... They need to entice new visitors to come and settle there. And the way they did that was they set up a bunch of underwater speakers and played the sounds of a healthy coral reef community. Oh, wow. That's like playing party sounds and then you get there and it's a really lame party. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. This sounded like a rager out there. Uh, You told me Kelly was coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's coming later. She's coming later. She's coming. Wait, but I heard her voice. Yeah, don't look into it. It was a phone call. (laughs) That is, that would be scary. Like you go to a house party, there's music, the sounds of crowds, you go and then there's just a bunch of mannequins set up. And like, right? uh, you'd, you'd be like, wait, what? Wait I don't minute. trust this. I know it really makes you have empathy for these animals that are like, I wait, know. this isn't real. What is this? <laughs> yeah. And if you're wondering, like, well, wait, what does a coral reef sound like? Because it it doesn't seem like a thing that would make sound other than just like 
water flowing around. It's actually alive with sounds. And so I'm gonna play you a little clip of what that sounds like. Oh my God. <laughs> so all those little crackling sounds, that, that's that uh -huh. little very pleasant sort of background noise. Those are often the sounds of snapping shrimp. You can see here <gasps> damselfish calling various other fish making these these calls that they often do to attract mates or to communicate with their mm -hmm. neighbors. So it's very much alive with the sounds of these fish and invertebrates and all of these animals that make a coral reef yeah. a coral reef. Yeah, that was like very calming. I think I could listen to that yes. for like sleep sounds, like to fall asleep. I know. And it's a shame. Makes me feel like I'm at Rainforest Cafe. <laughs> <laughs> Coral Cafe. You just kind of have to go underwater and somehow drink your Mai Tai or banana Through a straw. Through a straw. You can yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah. The sip, Little a bottle with a straw. Cap. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm seeing mm -hmm. it. I'm seeing the concept now. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. It's very, very soothing. And I, I want there to be more recordings of these reefs. I, I think it's kind of difficult. You need a special underwater recording device in order to capture mm -hmm. these sounds. Uh, you can't necessarily hear them very well with our human ears because mm. our ears don't really work that well underwater. We're used to our ears working by having air bounce around and then bounce inside of our eardrum, which signals a nerve that uh, to the brain that basically reconstructs the sound for us. So underwater, ears are pretty bad. So if you try to listen to a coral reef with our human ears, it's really, you're not going to hear much. But mm -hmm. we can record it. And I hope we continue recording it because I think there's something, when you hear that, it really, for me, even though I know like, yes, they're alive, they're full of life, it's like it really gives me that sense of like a bustling city. Like it's an underwater right. city of animals. And mm -hmm. it, it's so, it, it, it just makes it feel all the more important to protect mm -hmm. it. So we're gonna take a quick break, but when we return, we're gonna talk about more weird and wild conservation efforts this time with some birds that are maybe a little bit too affectionate. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, Anna, sometimes you just got to put a semen collecting helmet on if you care about endangered birds. <laughs> you know how that is? Uh, yeah. Oh, God. I have that on my wall. I have a cross stitch that says <laughs> that. When I get stressed, I remind myself I just have to wear a bird semen helmet. I have that same cross stitch. Uh, Etsy? Oh. Did you get it on yeah. Etsy? Yeah. yeah. Etsy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Got it for Christmas a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's a... Uh, you know, live, laugh, put a semen collecting helmet on your head. Yeah, I have that one in the kitchen. It's such a it's such a trite home decor. Yeah, <laughs> but but I, everyone has it because it's true. That's yeah, that's true. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a it's an age old age old yeah. saying, as mm-hmm. old mm-hmm. as as old as time. Tale as old as time. Yeah, for sure. We're talking about the kakapo, which is also known as the owl parrot. It is a beautiful green and fluffy ground-dwelling parrot. I feel like it's a record. I'm talking about two ground-dwelling birds in one episode. I don't know. Da 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 da. There's an award. Uh, so <laughs> it it is unusual because I'm like, wait, the like ground-dwelling bird is a thing. I don't even know if I fully knew that. Yeah. So to learn about two, it's like, do they think they're mice? <laughs> I mean, the other one thought it was a prairie dog. I feel like if you ask this, if it thinks it's a mouse, it's going to be very offended. Uh, yeah. This is the world's only flightless parrot, and it is endemic to New Zealand. Wow. It is. That's Yeah. That's cool. It is really cool, and it's actually kind of goofy. It's a, a beautiful bird, but at the same time, really goofy looking. It looks like some kind of bird muppet. Uh, <laughs> it's absolutely adorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the reason it's probably flightless is because New Zealand is an island, and it's the animals there typically on an island can basically evolve into these very specific niches so if you don't have a lot of ground predators in your area uh, and you're isolated from the rest of the world where a ground a terrestrial ground predator may be able to migrate Mm -hmm. over uh, you may develop these traits that are say like being flightless like the kiwi in new zealand is also flightless uh, mm-hmm. Of course, we also know about the dodo, who was flightless, right. which lived in Mauritius. Uh, unfortunately, we know about what happened to the dodo, and this almost happened to the kakapo. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So unfortunately, they are critically endangered due to the introduction of non-native predators. This includes mm. rats, cats, ferrets, and stoats who came to the island of New Zealand with British colonizers colonizers in the 1800s. So this they almost suffered the same fate of the dodo with total in, total extinction. So the dodo is the same story. Uh, Dutch uh, colonizers came over to Mauritius. They brought with them cats and rats and dogs, and those hunted the dodo along with humans uh, to extinction. But Mm -hmm. in 1890, conservation efforts began. I guess people, unlike with the dodo, people are like, "Uh, maybe we should save this bird. I don't know. It's a cool (laughs) bird. That does feel early for conservation efforts. It does. Okay. I mean, we're almost to the 20th century, which, you know, I guess it it is it is interesting. I think like there there was probably it was because we had seen some extinction events before where we were like, Mm. oh, we made this go extinct. We made the dodo go extinct. Maybe we should not keep doing that. Uh, Took us long enough. But uh, it has been a real struggle to keep their numbers healthy. As of now, there's only around 200 wild kakopos. Uh, One of the reasons they are so rare is that they only mate during very specific and short time periods, which corresponds to the ripening of a fruit called the rimu, which happens only once every five years. This sounds like... It sounds like something from a Dr. Seuss book. You know what I mean? It's like the Kokopo only mates once every five years when the fruit of the Rimu plant ripens. It, it really does. <laughs> every five years. Except somehow rhyming. <laughs> it, but it's close. It's got the alliteration. Yeah. It, it really does. And there's also a like a particularness to this that I kind of relate to where it's mm. like, no, I kind of need everything to be right before I... <laughs> Go have sex. Like, I really need the right music. Yeah. I need the right fruit. It's got to be at a specific point in its ripeness. So, sorry. Right. Not tonight. Mm, I, I actually it. need sliced pears. Uh, yeah. It has to be ripe. And I also need uh, some lemon hibiscus tea. Yeah. Um, and it can only happen four months out of the year. That's basically right. what these, these birds are doing. Yeah, it's like they're saying they're on their period the rest of the time. <laughs> I have a headache. Sorry. Yeah, I have a headache. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason for this is that this is a major part of their diet, this fruit. It's highly nutritious. And having their chicks uh, timed around the supply of this fruit ensures their chicks will have the best chance of good nutrition when they're young and the best chance of survival. And Kokopo's live up to 100 years. So the rarity Ooh. of their mating cycles is feasible. Mm-hmm. With- Can you imagine if you saw one of these Kokopos when you were like 10? And then like <laughs> at age 89, you see the bird fly, knowing that it's the same bird you saw when you were 10? I mean, they are That's- flightless, so it's more of a... When they fly, it's more of a sort of hop and flap kind of situation. <laughs> so they can you sort see of... this bird hopping. <laughs> <laughs> so 
this mating strategy does technically work, but it does make it does limit them when they face challenges to their population, such as new predators. Mm -hmm. They have a lek mating system. A lek is like a large area where males will come to gather. It's like an arena where they strut their stuff. And these males will make these booming calls to entice females to mate. Eight hours a day for over four months. These dudes mm -hmm. are thirsty. And wow. can you blame them? <laughs> no. Hey, it, you only get it every five every years. Five so when years. you when you're trying to get it, it's Look, probably real pent up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they built so they build their own resonance chambers. They dig these things called bowls that will mm -hmm. help amplify their calls. <laughs> and the sound of it sounds like air being blown over an empty beer bottle. Which I gotta hand it to them. It is an erotic call. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's uh, erotic audio. That's yeah. like they have uh, websites for that. You know, like those jug bands where you got like do, 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 That's, yeah, no. Turns me on every time. Hey, I get I mean, my ripe fruit and I get that jug music. <laughs> You're only human. How can you not be? Yeah, so here, exactly. Here is an actual call of the Kokopo trying to desperately find a mate. <laughs> Just a little flavor of that bird's uh, beautiful, beautiful hooting sound. I mean, it sounds like a jug. It really does. <laughs> it's crazy that comes out of a bird. I, I know. I thought I was listening to jug music. I, I wonder. I don't think this research has ever been done, but I wonder if you took an empty beer bottle or a jug, you set yourself up near these kokopos and blew on it, if you'd get a horny mm -hmm. female coming your way. Well, you splatter a little bird poop on the walls <laughs> and you just might. Set that plus the jug. Oh, yeah. It's all about the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, hint to birds and humans alike. So <laughs> <laughs> now something about birds in general, which applies to these kokopos, they will often imprint on their parents. So mm -hmm. when they hatch, they see their parents and they're like, that's what I'm going to be when I grow up. If they hatch around humans or are raised by humans, they will often imprint on humans because they look at a wow. human and they think, hey, wow. that's an adult me. I'm a person. Oh, my God. That's so cute. It's adorable. I mean, it's what causes. I kind of want one of these as a pet because it'll be with me forever. <laughs> I'm going to tell you I'll why. I'll die before the bird. <laughs> I'm going to tell you why you don't want this as a pet, like aside okay. from ethical reasons. Um, of course, of course. In just a minute. But when birds imprint on people, that's like when if you've raised like baby baby ducks mm -hmm. or geese and they follow you around like they're following their mommy, that's because mm -hmm. they have imprinted on you. Now, here's the downside is when they see that, okay, I'm a human, that must mean when I grow up, I'm going to fall in love with a human and have babies with them. So Ooh. they will imprint <laughs> on you. And then every other human they see, they will assume is an adult bird that they're supposed to mate with, and they're going to try and probably <gasps> fall in love. Uh, so. Oh, my God. Oh, God. I, I just want to know what that looks like. Well, I'll tell you what that looks like. It looks like a bird humping people's heads. <laughs> so. 
Wow. <laughs> These poor birds are so romantic to their mm -hmm. detriment. They're like they're like rom-com heroes. Like I can really understand how hard it is to be this romantic. It's unrequited love, which is yeah. probably the most tragic of all when a bird loves a human and the human's like, "No, we mustn't." And the bird is like, "But my heart is crying out." And the human's like, "Stop pumping my head." And the bird is like, <laughs> What is it about me that I can't find love? <laughs> so relatable. So this is the case for the most notorious Kokopo in the world named Sirocco, who has <laughs> attempted to mate with many conservationists' heads, including famed zoologist Mark Carawindine, uh on BBC's show Last Chance to See. Uh, he mm -hmm. tried to hump this guy's head on national television. Oh, adorable. And people fell in love with him for it, which I think yeah. is great. So his humping habits have made him a celebrity and he has become the official bird ambassador to Kokopo Conservation and people freaking love this humping bird. So researchers uh, hoped to actually work with Sirocco's lust for the good of conservation by inventing da -da 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 -da, a bird semen collecting helmet. <laughs> That's disgusting. I mean, some, you know, it's science. It's uh, sometimes in science, you got to think outside the bun. And sometimes thinking outside the bun means letting a bird hump your head. That sounds like an idea that like that guy at the office made who always has really wacky ideas and you're like, okay, Jack, not now. It's not, we're not looking for that. It's not Friday at 4 p.m. And then one day everyone like just got drunk enough and they're like, you know what? This guy's got some good ideas. Let's uh, let's do the sperm helmet. And then you wake up the next morning. Yeah. You're like, why do we have 20 sperm helmets? That's Jack's idea. I love those birds. Yeah, Jack Jack is from Texas. He won't stop trying to fuck the birds, but... They keep him on the payroll because, uh, you know, he's a nice guy once you start talking to him. Uh, so uh, when worn by the researchers, the helmet was designed to collect the, uh, you know, bird semen that was produced during the humping session. Mm. That was thought that they could use this for research samples and for conservation purposes, potentially for fertilization purposes. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately... Listen, Sirocco is a discriminating little gentleman. He's got high standards. You can't just mm. slap on a bird semen collecting helmet and think that Sirocco is automatically going to be attracted to you because he's not. He's actually not going to be attracted to that. He refuses to make love to people who are wearing these helmets because Sirocco is attracted to human heads without a weird bubble wrap covering, and thank you very much. So, oh my gosh, it's true. I get it. He imprinted on a human, not on a sperm helmet. So he's like, I want to see that big, beautiful head. Look, and if you've seen the sperm helmet, which you can if you check out the show notes, I don't blame him. It's not a good look. No, it looks like styrofoam. It looks like someone wrapped their head in bubble wrap and is some kind of conspiracy theorist who thinks that bubble wrap will stop the four Gs. 
And yeah. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be attracted to that, you know? No. No. Yeah, you do. I mean, it's like do I want to date someone who's constantly wearing one of those conspiracy tinfoil caps? No, I'd feel self-conscious. Mm-hmm. I'd be like, "Ugh, I don't want to be seen with this person." Yeah. So I get it. Soroko is like he's just discerning. He's and discerning. Who he falls in love with, you know, sure. Does he give his heart away a lot? Yes. But that doesn't mean he's just some machine who you can program to love anything. No, no. Just because he's open with his love doesn't mean he doesn't have standards, goddammit. I do think that Soroko the Bird is begging for a Pixar movie. (laughs) How do we not have a movie based on this real-life bird about a a bird who, like, keeps falling in love with humans and giving his heart away? I want to hear... Hear how you would plan to make that kid friendly? <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, maybe it's time to just blend that audience a little bit. And if kids have to find out that a bird being attracted to a human means it tries to hump its head, then so be it. They got to learn someday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so preventing birds from imprinting on humans is actually a big problem with bird conservation. And sometimes bird conservationists have to get very creative and creepy uh, because like, obviously, if you are doing a captive breeding program, a problem is if they see it's a human raising them and feeding them, they're gonna be like, hey, that's my mommy or that's my daddy. And I someday mm. when I grow up, I'm gonna be a big human just like them and fall in love like with a human just like them. Right. And that's a problem. So. Mm-hmm. Whooping cranes, I'm going to keep saying it that way, whooping. (laughs) Whooping cranes are the tallest North American bird and are a beautiful white crane with red spots on their heads and black wingtips. They're breathtakingly gorgeous birds. And here is why they are called whooping cranes. Play a sound for you. Okay. Magnificent. Oh, yeah. That was that was beautiful. Sounded like a siren, but the <laughs> kind of siren I could listen to for a while. Uh, it's a siren when you call 911 because someone stole your heart because those are mating calls. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, to each their own. <laughs> it's very open-minded of you. So... Mm-hmm. Whooping cranes are still endangered, but at one point they almost reached extinction. There were only 21 birds left in the wild, with only two in captivity in 1941. They were Mm -hmm. like a bird sneeze away from (laughs) complete extinction. And this is in contrast to an estimated population of over 10,000 cranes before European colonizers arrived in North America. So they were once a thriving population of birds, but after the destruction of their habitat and overhunting, Mm -hmm. they almost were completely wiped out. And so conservation efforts had to leap into high gear if these birds were to be saved. So there Mm -hmm. were captive breeding programs and relocation to protected areas Uh, And that has actually allowed the population to rebound somewhat to about 800 birds. Um, Oh, that's still so small. (laughs) It's still not enough. And it's it's concerning. Uh, This is one of the areas where you can see the direct 
impact of politics on conservation. Uh, budget mm-hmm. cuts during the Trump administration actually closed a major whooping crane captive breeding program. Uh, the Pawtucket uh, Wildlife Research Center. I feel like I didn't pronounce that right, Pat. <gasps> Puppies! While I look up the pronunciation, your dog is the cutest little dog I've ever seen, honestly. She's cute. She's I've- real small, but she's cute. She's just a little wiener. I've seen her on Twitter. She's just so cute. I love I love her coat color. Okay, back back to the show. Uh so this actually caused the Patuxent Wildlife Research Center to close mm-hmm. down. They had been operating for over 50 years and had a flock of 75 birds. And so these birds had to be dispersed to other captive breeding programs and zoos and this is expected to be a major setback for conservation efforts. So Unfortunately, uh, yeah, politics directly interact uh, can have, have a huge impact on conservation. Wow. That's so sad. It really is. It really is. Um, but uh, in terms of how this conservation works, like I mentioned earlier, they have to prevent these birds from imprinting on their human caretakers, like Sirocco did, because otherwise they'd all <laughs> become Sirocco's and fall in love with humans. Um, And so the conservationists wore whooping crane costumes while rearing them. This is important not just to protect humans from getting humped by a bunch of birds, but to make sure the birds will actually be able to successfully reproduce in the wild. Wow. Now, these costumes are not as if someone did like a Broadway musical about whooping cranes. <laughs> They're not these like cute, uh, cute kind of like uh, Disneyland character costumes of a big cartoon whooping crane. They're really creepy. They look like people in some kind of weird crane religious cult. So the humans will wear these like white hazmat suits or white like almost cloaks and capes and then Uh, or maybe beekeeper suits, and then they have a fake whooping crane head attached to their arm like a puppet, and they use this fake head to feed the cranes. So I shared a picture of it with you, and it really... This is wild. Yeah. This looks crazy. It's like some kind of... Doesn't it look like some kind of weird priest? Yeah. uh, Looks like a cult. It looks Looks like a cult. yeah. The followers of this cult dress up in these weird Pope-like cloaks with the weird masks mm-hmm. and then walk around with their bird muppet hand <laughs> through like this tall grass. It's I feel like it's out of a movie. Yeah. It looks like it's a midsummer situation, but just with cranes. Definitely. Yeah. But look at those cute adolescent cranes. When they're adolescents, they actually have this beautiful, like, brown and white speckled coat. It's just, they're so beautiful. Such beautiful birds. Um, mm, yes. But, yeah, when h- humans try to pretend to be the cranes, we can't quite pull it off, at least from my perspective. So it looks very creepy. But the, it works on the cranes. They will see this and see, you know, they're looking for these general patterns, the the heads are fairly realistic these fake puppet heads and so they will imprint on these and learn what an adult crane looks like so um they will also uh they use this fake head to take care of them to feed them so they form this attachment with these these puppets 
And they will also <laughs> teach the cranes how and where to migrate by having the costumed rescuers lead them in an ultralight aircraft. It's like almost like a hang glider, uh, but mm -hmm. with an engine. And they will fly along the proper migratory route. And these little, uh, these, these teenaged uh, adolescent cranes will follow them and learn the migratory route like they would if they had a community of, of actual cranes in the wild. Wow. You know what that reminds me of? I guess. Surely you have talked about this on this podcast, Fly Away Home. Yes. Yes. So uh, it is just like the movie Fly Away Home. And there's a good reason for that. Fly Away mm -hmm. Home was based on a real story. They probably had that at the beginning where it's like based on a based, true story. Oh, of course. And yep. it was. It was. And it was based on the very real work established by Bill Lishman and Joe Duff, who figured out how to teach young Canada geese to follow human-led migratory patterns using those light aircrafts. And their wow. research, they helped adapt that research to be used for these cranes. Whoa. So, yes. It's all oh connected. God. Jeff Bridges, right? That's who it was. That was I the think dad? so. That sounds right. Yeah. Wow. He, I mean, in my mind, that's who did all this. Oh, Jeff Daniels. <laughs> Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Uh, okay. That's, I understand yeah. he was playing a real person, but it's Jeff it's Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Saved Daniels. The birds. <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. So, Anna, what if I told you that you could be a hero by throwing vomit-inducing amphibian sausages out of a helicopter? Uh, I think I would. 
like that. The idea of vomit-inducing sausages mm-hmm. sounds like it will make me vomit, but... Yeah. Well, you don't have throwing... to eat the sausages. You have to right. throw them out a helicopter. They seem like they would smell, but throwing sausages out of a helicopter sounds extremely fun. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I want that to be my superpower, to be able to fly and shoot sausages. Yeah, I'm down for that. You know, I figure like every superpower has some kind of like downside. Like if you're immortal, you outlive all your loved ones. If you're invincible, everyone's trying to fight you all the time and so on and so Mm -hmm, forth. But mm -hmm. what possible downside could flying and shooting sausages have? Oh, I mean, none, none, I think. Mm None. Just, I guess, jet fuel from the helicopter? No, I'm saying if I could fly. so like, my Oh, if you could fly. I, yeah, yeah. Literally none. Exactly. I mean, if we're going to get down to the nitty gritty, though. Mm. So these sausages are made of what? Well, they're made of toads. Uh, so let me explain. Yeah, because I'm like, wait a minute. These aren't just normal sausages. I, I'm going to need information on that part. Yeah, <laughs> You want me to show you how the sausage is made? Because you may not want to know how the sausage is made. I want to know. All right. I have to know. You can't handle the truth. All right. Here it is. So first, let's start with the well-established fact that invasive cane toads are huge jerks and Mm. they are destroying Australia. So cane toads, fascinating uh, toads. I don't actually hate the species. But because they are invasive in Australia, they are causing a lot of problems for the native species. And they have been devastating to a lot of these species that are endemic to Australia. They're found only in Australia. So it's not the toad's fault, strictly speaking. Originally, the cane toads were imported by a bunch of dumb humans Mm. trying to protect cane sugar fields from cane beetles. But the toads didn't eat the beetles because the beetles mm-hmm. like to live high up on the cane stalk. So instead, the cane toads spread out and devoured everything else in their path and poisoned any predators that tried to take them down because cane toads will seep a toxin from their from these glands in their skin. So no, yeah. there was no natural predator that could take them down and they just kind of have been going across Australia and conquering. So once... (laughs) Toads conquering is a really funny image. It is Uh, funny. Just like toad kings and stuff. Mm -hmm. Now go forth. Exactly. We already have it. (laughs) Yeah. We have the references. These are uh, toad conquerors. And they're, of course, they're assholes. Yeah. Yeah. And one such victim of these toad a-holes is the northern quoll. They are a carnivorous marsupial of northern Australia. They're adorable. They look like a large spotted mouse with reddish-brown coats and white reverse Dalmatian spots, pink noses, little whiskers, and a long fluffy tail and round ears. They're so cute. Seeing... Uh, pictures like this, like seeing little rats makes me miss my dog, but I am holding her, so it's okay. But something about like rats and stuff makes me miss my dog. Well, your dog's like a, a wiener dog. Um, also, you're holding her right now. She's so cute. I she is. 
you're you're kind of holding her like she's like she's a weapon though you're like yeah like you could just shoot shoot with the dog shoot puppy kisses with the dog i i exactly. like to I'm sorry for this tangent, but I do like to weaponize my dog. I'll pick her up and uh, just hold her up near someone's face and she starts kissing them. Aww. So, you know, weaponize kissies. <laughs> I mean, my dog is a weapon because her breath is the most disgusting yeah. smell I've ever experienced. And no matter what you do, no. she her breath smells horrendous. It's a bioweapon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if she tries to kiss you, it's like, oh, God. Oh. <laughs> So, uh, yes, yeah, so adorable. They are very precious and they're endangered. So the quolls are carnivores. They will eat small insects, mammals, reptiles, and hey, amphibians. So you'd think, great, have them eat these toads. Not great because, again, the toads are toxic. They are poisonous when eaten. Mm -hmm. And so these poor quolls will try to eat the cane toad, try to be our little heroes on the front lines against the toad invasion, but mm -hmm. the toad will kill them often because they're so highly toxic. And quolls mm -hmm. might be able to learn to avoid the toxic toads if they would actually be able to survive the deadly bufotoxin that the oh. toad secretes. But more often than not, they don't survive it. So there's no way for them to learn. They just die. Oh. That's sad. It is sad. And actually, the learning curve for predators to learn to avoid dangerous prey uh, is where we get interesting evolutionary traits like aposematism. So that's when you have a brightly colored animal or plant that is toxic. Oh. So a butterfly might have these beautiful, vibrant colors, but it is warning predators, hey, if you eat me, I'm going to be yucky. So a bird may eat a toxic butterfly and then vomit. It's not going to die, but then it learns, hey, next time I see one of these pretty bright blue butterflies, I'm not going to eat it. That's so interesting. It's almost a like symbiotic relationship in terms of the it is. poisonous animal being like, I'm not trying to kill you. I'm just trying to live like we can do this. Just don't eat me and and we'll all be good. It is. It is actually a symbiotic relationship because any interaction between two animals where they have a close relationship is defined as symbiosis. So, okay. Uh, yeah. So, conservationists are trying to step in and basically do an artificial way of teaching quolls how to avoid the cane toad. Now, we can't take quolls to quoll school, even though that would be so cute. Like, mm -hmm. can you imagine it would quoll be school? Cute. Quoll school. <laughs> Welcome to quoll school. Oh, it, it'd be so small, such a <laughs> tiny little school. You know, it, it, they would have the, the burrowing owls would be their teachers. <laughs> I'm going to take roll call in the call school. Yeah, yeah. It, that's, that's a really cute image. It would all take place um, in little mini schoolhouses. Yes, yeah. You know, I'd I'd teach there. I'd I'd teach for coal school. I'd I'd also it's like how do I teach these quolls? I gotta get the quolls to listen to me. I gotta How do I get through to these quolls? <laughs> Just like sit backwards in the chair and it's like, listen, quolls. I know I'm not a quoll and you guys are all quolls, but look, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to be a carnivorous uh, marsupial. I get it. 
See, every animal you have introduced to me, I'm like, this sounds like a Pixar movie. Because <laughs> quolls, too. I mean, something about the name, it just rolls off the mm-hmm. tongue. They have these cute little spots, which is made for kids' movie. Yes. So you have a little quoll going to quoll school. Quoll school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, Cole School 2, back in session. So, uh, <laughs> again, conservationists are trying to teach the quolls to avoid cane toads so they don't accidentally poison themselves. And so, how do they do this? Well, naturally, they're going to make toad sausages from cane toad legs. <laughs> so, they will make toad sausages. Now, you can eat parts of a cane toad. In fact, some predators will actually become clever and learn how to only eat the part of the cane toad that is not toxic. Unfortunately, the quolls haven't done this, but Mm. researchers can take parts of the cane toad that are edible, I mean, strictly speaking, and make toad sausages out of them and then lace them with a chemical that doesn't kill the quoll, but just makes them feel nauseous, makes them nauseated. So this will hopefully make the quolls associate those nasty toad sausages that made their tummies upset and learn to avoid cane toads based on the smell. So basically, the process of making these sausages is uh, hilariously gross. Uh, there's, I have a few photos in the show notes. Nothing too graphic, just like some cane toads next to a cutting board where you can see they're about to do some creative culinary cuisine with these cane toads. And then, I, yeah. The fact that they're made into sausage feels ridiculous. It's like, I understand you have to mix everything together and mm-hmm. because it's parts of the toad, you can't just serve it up straight. But the fact that they were like, little hot dogs, here you go, have some little <laughs> hot dogs is very silly well they need to first they need to be able to lace it with the nausea inducing drug otherwise Mm. the quals won't learn anything they'll just be like hey free sausage great and it (laughs) needs to survive being thrown from helicopters so sausage you can't just have a meatball exactly you can't just have a meatball (laughs) the meatball go like splattering everywhere (laughs) i get it i get now how do these sausages not still explode when they hit the ground i i don't know. Tried I and true. They must have been they, like, this is the right case. It's in. a durable sausage. It's got to be like a weapons yeah. grade sausage. I Like if you bit into it, you'd be like, ooh, this is a tough sausage. That's a spicy sausage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You'd be like, oof, that's, ah, I can't get my teeth through this sausage. Yeah. Somehow, somehow I crave more though, you know? Yeah. But there's a photo of a very solemn looking man inspecting (laughs) a rack of toad sausages that, again, is in the show notes because I do love this picture. He looks like he knows what he's doing is ridiculous. Toad sausage expert. I wonder if they like consulted sausage makers Surely, to get they the technology have. to make sausages. And the flavor. They've got to make them appealing until the quolls start to throw up. So, like, exactly. you got, the quolls got to eat it and then it learn. It can't smell like puke. It has right. to be, like, a yummy sausage. It's got to be yummy. And it's got to have that signature cane toad smell because then they'll learn yeah. to associate the smell of the cane toad. I'm sure it's, like, a very you know, Gordon Ramsay process of like, like, 
This sausage is raw. I can hear the cane toad practically ribbiting. Yeah, I mean, what really makes it feel like it? Well, it's an episode of uh, Master Chef. Is this other picture you have of someone using their bare hands <laughs> to rip up the toad on a cutting board yeah. with a knife? Like, put on some gloves. That you're not cooking in your own home. Put on some just, gloves. Just chopping them and cracking them like you're, <laughs> yeah, like, like a crab. Yeah, like, like you're ugh. filleting a crab. Yeah. That's that. That one is doing a spatchcock chicken. These are tough. Ugh, it's rough. I bet that all smells disgusting. Oh, I'm sure it does. It's there's no way these are some stinky (laughs) sausages. So, yeah, uh, yes, they have a very strong smell. You are correct, and uh, they. It seems like this completely off-the-wall bananas bonkers plan is actually working. So the they throw them out, the helicopters, and they are tracking these quals, seeing that the quals are taking the toad sausages, and the mm-hmm. quals that are taking the toad sausages do seem to avoid the cane toad bait that they'll leave out. So they'll leave out some like... Whoa. I, I'm assuming probably these cane toad baits have been rendered safe, like their toxic glands have been removed. And then they'll see if the quals uh, will ignore them or not. And the ones that have been trained with the tainted sausages are much mm-hmm. more likely to avoid the cane toad bait. And oh, wow, it's just, it's a miracle of science, these sausages. It is. You know, I think that... The trend in all of these that I find so interesting is like how nitty gritty it is. It's like you can't just mass produce something. Someone's literally standing there with a cutting board, Mm -hmm. chopping up the frogs, making them sausages, and then distributing that. Or like dressing up as a whooping crane with a puppet hand and (laughs) feeding them. It's so... It's... Crazy how easily and quickly we, you know, bring these species to near extinction and how painstaking it is to conserve them. Mm-hmm. A pound of prevention is worth an ounce of toad sausages is the age old adage. Do you have that cross stitch? Yes, I, ha- I also have that cross stitch from Etsy here yeah. in my office. Yes, <laughs> I see. We- it says work, bitch, work. And then it says uh, <laughs> that one. I see we peruse the same Etsy stores. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Motivational quotes mm-hmm. relating to conservation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it is one of those interesting things where you think about someone who goes into conservation work or into evolutionary biology. Did they ever imagine they'd be dressing up as a crane or making toad <laughs> sausage? I don't think so. I I really don't. But there's something so sweet about that. It like... It shows you really have to care because yes. you are, it's like being a really good teacher where it's like, you got to get in there. You got to sit down with that student one-on-one <laughs> and be like, okay, so I hear you like uh, Digimon. So I printed out a bunch of Digimon cards. I'm assuming the year is uh, 1998 and Digimon <laughs> is a hit show. <laughs> I'd That's love to see called, you right? try to teach a, <laughs> teach a class of Zoomers and be like, yeah. guys, think of algebra as like pogs. You know pogs? Yeah. 
you know, pogs. Uh, they're like, what are you talking about? Is that an app? And I'm like, how do I reach these keys? <laughs> how do I reach these quals? These quals. <laughs> right, because in this example, I am in qual school, yes. uh, if that was not clear. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. I love I love qual school. But I think we have, we've done it. We've discovered all these amazing conservation stories that are both, they are inspiring, they are wonderful, and they're also weird and full of sausage. So what, what more, what more can you ask for? I think I, for one thing, I don't want to eat sausage anytime soon because mm -hmm. I keep coming back to this picture mm -hmm. of the chopped up toads right next to sausage. <laughs> and I'm like, Jesus Christ, hot dogs are ruined for me. I am a vegetarian, <laughs> but like even my smart pups are ruined for me. But um, my life will never be the same now that I've seen how cute quills are. And I'll have to start thinking about that Pixar movie. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. I guess we were actually taught in the school. It turned out the quals were the teachers the whole time. Anyways, <laughs> moving on. Before we go, we have something very important to do, and that is answering the question we posed last week, which was, guess who is squawking? Who was squawking? Mm -hmm. What's going on? It's the mystery animal sound game. Da -da 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 -do. I don't know, uh, some kind of game show music going on. We play this every week. We play a mystery animal sound noise, and you, the listener, and you, the guest, try to guess who is squawking, who's making that noise. And last week's hint was, damn, what a weird baby. Here is the sound. So, Anna, who do you think is who do you think is making that noise? It does sound like a baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I feel like it's. I'm gonna say, like a duck, a mm -hmm. kind of a duck, maybe. Mm, kind of. A I duck. know I'm wrong, but <laughs> I'm go. I'm going bird at least. I mean, you're try You're you are incorrect. Um. Mm. But, you know, you're not as far away from the truth as you may have thought. It is not a bird, but it is an aquatic animal. Um, okay. And so a big congratulations to Michael M., Emily M., and Aaron K., who all correctly guessed a baby beaver. It's a baby <gasps> beaver. That's insane to guess that. The, who, those people who guess that are brilliant because yes. that did I first of all never knew what a beaver sounded like and to put those two together I'm like what I don't even have beaver top of mind ever yes I you know even though I make this game it doesn't mean I'd necessarily be that good at playing the game so I feel like my listeners are actually probably better than I would be at this game uh, it's an adorable sound. It sounds kind of yeah. like a little baby being fussy. Fortunately, <laughs> this is a happy baby beaver. Uh, it is eating a sweet potato slice at Second Chances Wildlife Rescue in Kentucky, and it is making happy eating noises. So beavers are social animals and will often eat together in these dining rooms that they build inside their beaver lodge oh <laughs> the theme of this episode has to be uh little restaurants and hotels that animals make 
We're really getting a cute little world here. It's comprised adorable. Comprised of tiny things. I guess beavers aren't that small, but beaver dining room is cute and definitely wood panel. It is cute. Yeah, beavers aren't small, but they are cute uh, with their big orange iron teeth. Um, yeah. It is possible that these little happy grunts are social cues for it's eating time, it's snacking time, and entices other Aww. beavers to come and join. I, I read one account <laughs> where it seems like uh, they would make these happy noises when they're sharing food with each other. So absolutely Aww. adorable, sweet, little yummy sounds. I should start doing that when yeah. I'm at, having yum, a yum, dinner yum. party. Yeah. Yum, 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 you're just I'm hosting a dinner party and saying, uh, oh, yes, how's Kevin's work coming along? Yum, 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 Yep, bruschetta's ready. Yum, yum, yum. So on to this week's mystery animal sound. This is another baby aquatic mammal with big teeth. Adorable, but you'd better pray mama's not around. So, who do you think is squawking? Baby Rhino. Mm, interesting guess. Interesting mm-hmm. guess. Well, the answer will be revealed in next week's episode of Creature Feature. And if you think you know the answer, write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. You can reach out to me on other social media. I got to warn you, I am the best at seeing your responses when it's through email. So if you want me to see your guests, most uh, likely I will see it if you email me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. But I am also on Twitter at creaturefeatpod. Uh, that's F-E-A-T, not F-E-E-T. That is something very different. And at creaturefeaturepod on Instagram. Um, but Anna, thank you so much for joining me today. Through this weird and wild journey through creative conservation, uh, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bad Comics with an X, Bad Comics by Anna. That's Anna with two N's. Um, and I also make my comic on Instagram. And I highly recommend the comic. I, I love how she personifies emotions in her comics. They are yeah. wonderful. Um, appreciate it thank you so much for listening and if you're enjoying the show and you leave a rating and a review I read all the reviews I really appreciate it all of your kind comments even if you have some creative feedback I would love to hear from you and thanks to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song Exolumina Creature Features a production of iHeartRadio for more podcasts like the one you just heard visit the iHeartRadio app Apple Podcasts or hey guess what Why have you listened to your favorite shows? See you next Wednesday. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, 
fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. So, should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So, Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.